0: Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope
1: that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries,
0: visit us at peckwaychurch.com. stand to your feet. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's worship Him.
2: Break into the wild and don't be afraid. Run into wide open spaces. Grace is waiting for you. Dance like the weight has been lifted. Grace is waiting where the spirit of the Lord is there. There is freedom there is freedom where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom there May your hearts awake At the sound of Jesus' name Sing it again Change will fall Risen shake
0: Freedom today because of the Spirit of the Lord. Well, welcome to Peckway Church. I'm so glad to be here with you and worshiping together. Thanks for being here in, in person and online. And uh, we're going to have a great time worshiping together and continuing our sermon series today. Inside of your bulletin is a great connection card. I'm going to invite all of you to take that card out. Online, you're going to find a connect link in the chat window there that you can do that digitally as well. Also, if you are a first-time guest here with us today, thanks so much for being here. And uh, a real quick and easy way to to, uh, do that as well is with your mobile phone. You can text the word hello to 717-872-5679, and simply that just gives us a way to be able to communicate with one another. Uh, You can ask questions via text. We can can get information to you. So yeah, just a quick, simple, easy way to do that. So we have that great card that you can do digitally online. You can do that through that Connect link or first-time guests through that text in church uh, with the app. So uh, today we are continuing, continuing our sermon series. We've been talking about how to live uh, a life well lived. And um, so we're going to talk about God's will today. How many times have you come to the place where you're like, what is God's will? You kind of turn it over in your mind and you're thinking, you know, what, how can I know for sure what God's will is? And so many times you might feel sort of like Bruce Almighty did in this movie. So let's take a, take a look.
1: I'm done. Please, I don't want to do this
2: anymore.
1: (laughs) I don't want to be done. I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will.
0: know what was going to happen, you're like, oh, what is God's will? Well, today we're going to see how we can specifically see how God speaks to us, how we can know God's will. And so if you've seen this movie, you know, actually, he he gets hit by a truck right after that. That's what that light is. But sometimes that's like God's will. Sometimes it just smacks us in the face and other times it just feels so elusive. So stay tuned today uh, as we hear from God's word, how you can know God's will for your life. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand once again as we continue our worship time together. You know, there's mountains that seem to crop up in our lives. God's will could be one of those, but all we need to do is simply trust him and believe him because his word is true and faithful. Let's sing.
2: They say this mountain can be moved. They say these chains will never but they don't know you like we do there is power in your name we've heard that there is no way through we've heard the tide will never change they haven't seen what you stand up
0: of our praise, and praise is one of the ways that we can overcome those things in our life. It's difficult, I know, but when we pray, when we praise him, he seems to always come in and he gives us his peace, right? So let's worship him through that.
2: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring.
0: Make this our prayer. foundation of your love, your unfailing love, God. Your love that is better than life. Jesus, we we have come before you today, Lord, to the best of our ability to honor you, Jesus, to worship you. Lord, as we've reflected on uh, God, that you are the victor. Lord, you tell us that we are overcomers. When we have our that relationship with you, and so we thank you, uh, Lord, as we've sung about that today, as we've encouraged one another, Lord, as we look at what it, uh, it it looks like to know what your will is for our life, God. Would you speak to our hearts, um, Lord? Give us understanding and wisdom. Maybe uh, there's those in in the room today and online, Lord, who are searching for purpose, God, for uh, your will what is it that you're asking us to do what are you calling us to would you open our hearts and our ears as we hear now we pray in essence in jesus name amen you may be seated
1: thank you worship team thank you tech team and as scott prayed maybe you're here today and you're saying who is where is what is god's will for my life And and maybe to help us get started with that this morning, let me just ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. But just let me ask you this question. Have have you ever, and don't you always love how those questions begin, have you ever prayed something like this? Have you ever prayed in your life something like this? Lord, if you want me to take this job, then have them call me by 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, and, and what happens? Sometimes they call, right? And so we take that as God's leadership in our life. We take that as the voice of God. But other times they don't call, and what do we do? We, we take that as the voice of God. Let me ask you another one. Have you ever, Now, I definitely don't want you to raise your hand on this one, ever by chance have you run into someone, maybe an old high school flame, and you thought as you saw them, ran into them by, completely by chance, you thought, you know, they still look good. Now, if you're single, maybe you thought to yourself in that moment, you know what, they're single, I'm single, we're in the same town living together, this must be God's will. Maybe you've thought something like that. Or how about this, you've wondered, you've dreamed about finally having the dream home of your life. And you've started to feel this itch, this this prompting, perhaps it's time to move. And sure enough, on your way to work, you go by the, the house that is the dream house of your life, and there's a for sale site in the yard. And so have you ever thought, well, that must be God's will. That certainly must be a sign from God. Does any of those sound the least bit familiar? Now, again, don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. But the reason I ask that is because I suspect all of us really in this room and watching online, our heart's desire is to know and to follow God's will. And yet the reality is if we're honest, and Scott's already alluded to that in multiple ways this morning, if we're honest, sometimes we'd have to admit that knowing and following God's will for our life can be a little confusing. Sometimes it can seem a bit mysterious. We want to do God's will, but if we're honest, we say, you know, I really don't know what that is. And as a result, what I've witnessed and I've done just like some of you is I've turned to maybe some unwise, maybe even some unhelpful ways to discern God's will because in my hard heart, I want to do God's will. Does that make sense? And so what we want to do today is I want to take some time and give you some nuts and bolts Practical steps, things that we could do, some practical understanding about what it looks like to know and to follow God's will. And, and, and we need to understand as we get into this an essential interplay that exists between God's sovereign will, okay, and our free will. Because what I've observed and what I've noticed both is watching life in general and just watching things evolve biblically, what I notice is most problems arise in this whole issue of knowing and following God's will when we don't understand the dynamic that exists between God's sovereign will and our free will. More often than not, that's where problems arise. So here's what I want to tackle the question really is, so how do we understand the relationship between God's sovereign will and our free will. And to do that I want to give you a couple of illustrations. There on your outline, the first one won't be on the screen, but the first illustration you see there or diagram there, it depicts God's sovereign will and our will is on a scale and what you notice I hope about that is they're equally weighted. And that's what I want to call, folks, a misunderstanding, an unsatisfactory view of the relationship between God's will and our will. Because what that image depiction really represents is that somehow, some way, God's will and our will are co-equal, co-weighted, and therefore they can they can't oppose one another. They can't thwart one another in the process of accomplishing what god wants to accomplish and that's a misdefinition a misunderstanding an unsatisfactory view let me give you a second diagram the second diagram is on the screen and what you see here this this represents a solution to that first diagram and that's because this one this diagram really depicts the biblical understanding of the relationship between god's will and our free will or what you see there is the area of our responsibility so let me just walk you through it the big circle represents God's will it's all encompassing but within God's will there is our free will that area where God truly gives us freedom to choose to act to make decisions but here's what we need to understand about that that will is very real it's not illusion the other thing is that will our free will is limited That is to say, God has set boundaries, God has set laws in place that controls, if you will, hems in our free will. Yet within those limits, we need to understand we are free moral agents. You say, what does that mean, Jerry? Let me tell you practically what that means. You and I are truly free to act. We are truly free to choose. We are truly free to decide. Specifically, we are truly free to decide whether or not we enter into a relationship with God. We are free to make that choice. So we're free to sin or not sin. We are free to obey or not to obey. We're free to follow or not follow God. We're free to believe or not to believe in God. God has given us in His sovereign will that freedom to exercise our will. Now, having said that, I want to say to you, closely tied to our free will are the things that God calls us to do, woos us to do, if you will, wants us to do, desires us to do. In other words, within our free will, related to our free will, not within it, but related to our free will, are the things that God wants us to choose, desires us to choose, longs for us to choose, because choosing those things pleases God, it honors God, and it blesses our lives. Let me give you one biblical example that I'm sure is going to get everyone's attention. Let's talk about God's will for us and this idea of sexual purity. I want you to notice the verse there in the outline. Paul says this, and I want you to underline this. God wants you, okay, underline that. God wants you to be holy and to stay away from sexual sins. Now notice the phrase again. He wants each of you, underline that, to learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Paul writes, don't use your body for sexual sins like the people who do not know God. Now, twice in that verse, Paul says God wants us. And so according to Paul, what I want you to understand is God wants us to live a sexually pure life. But you notice what Paul didn't say. He he doesn't say God forces us to live a sexually pure life. He calls us to it, he, he, he draws us to it, but ultimately he does not force us to do that, which means this. Within God's sovereign free will, if you pull that back up again, within God's sovereign will, there is a freedom that he gives us that in that freedom we could actually be free to not do what God wants us to do. We are free to to go against what God wants for us and from us. Does that make sense? That's what we need to understand about this relationship. So given that interplay between God's sovereign will and our free will, the question I want to ask this morning is, so how does God lead us? How does God guide us? And to help answer that question, I want you to become a participant in this. I want you to draw a circle inside the big circle. And Cam, you can put that up there. And I want it to be as close to the outside edge as possible without going outside it. You can look at the screen if you need an illustration. Draw a circle within the circle as close to the edge of the first circle as possible. And after you do that, then label it God's moral will. And as you draw that, as you go through that, and i really want to encourage you to do that even if you're not a note taker i want to encourage you to do that because folks i want to promise you when you get a handle on this it's going to help you not only personally but the people you're trying to walk through understanding god's will whether it's a child or a grandchild or a friend but let me give you a definition of god's moral will god's moral will is what god makes clear to us through his word and ultimately through the person and the teaching and the life of jesus about what he wants us to think and do and feel. Does that make sense? God's moral will is what God desires from us and for us. Okay, that's God's moral will. Now let me give you an example of God's moral will. All of us can understand and appreciate how the Ten Commandments can guide us morally. And for that reason, none of us, I suspect, sit around and spend any time at all thinking, you know, and asking this question. I wonder if it's God's will for me to lie. I wonder if it's God's will for me to steal or commit murder. None of us sit around thinking about that because God's moral will as revealed in God's commandments. Make it clear that the answer to each of those questions is no. God doesn't want us to do that. And you go, okay, I get that, Jerry, but what about the rest of life? I mean, does God's moral will have anything else to say to us about the other realms of life? For example, what does God's moral will have to say to us about deciding to accept or reject a job offer? I mean, beyond the fact, and we all can go there and we logically go there. I mean, you know, beyond the fact that we know if the job asks us to lie or steal or maybe be a hitman, so commit murder, God's moral will will tell us not to do that. But beyond that, does God's moral will have anything to say to us? Can it give us any direction about knowing God's will for our life beyond those kind of ethical considerations? Well, let's play it out and find out. I want you to imagine for a second that this job that we're talking about is a job that requires you to travel. And maybe you're there right now, or maybe you need to imagine like I do a few decades back, but I want you to imagine that this job offer comes to you, and you're married, and you have young children at home. And I want you to imagine that this job offer comes and it requires you to travel a lot, especially even on weekends, and you already strained marriage, your no would be fractured, if not destroyed, if you accepted the job. Or imagine for the second that that job, again, that requires you to travel, and travel a lot, would take you away from your children, your young children, who are already showing signs in their lives of needing more of your time, not less of it, okay? Now let's just assume for a second that your home life is fine. Let's just talk about the job for a second. I want you to imagine for a second that the job would require you to sell things or support things that you have discomfort with. I'm not saying they're illegal. I'm not saying they're immoral. We're not talking about your job offer to be a drug dealer, but something convictional, something that you in your conscience before God just feel uncomfortable about supporting or promoting. Or what if that job, again, taking you to travel, would take you away from a church or a ministry that God clearly has been using you in, and you clearly understand that God still has a strategic purpose for you to serve in? Now think about all that, folks, and suddenly this job offer that initially we just thought was about salary and benefits and maybe professional advancement, suddenly begins to have major spiritual moral overtones, God's moral will overtones in it. Does that make sense? And just so we're clear, you say, well, Jerry, that's just a job. Let me be clear with you folks. There are very few decisions in your life or mine that when we think through them, do not have God's moral will overtones related to it. Very few decisions in your life, in my life, that don't have those moral overtones related to it, a moral component. And so let me just say this. Save you a lot of struggle, a lot of grief. And and I say this sincerely because I deal with this on a weekly basis. If you're struggling today about whether or not God wants you to do something, but it clearly goes against God's moral will, you can stop struggling. Because God's will will never, ever violate His moral law, as it's revealed to us in His Word. God will never do that. And so at that point, you might be asking, going, fair enough, Jerry, I get that, but does God ever make His specific will in a situation known for me? Does God ever reveal a specific will beyond His moral will? Well, let me answer that by saying this first. I'm going to come at it in two ways. First, let me say this to you. Remember and hold on to this principle. 90% of God's will for your life involves His moral law. In other words, 99, in fact, I'd say 99%. That's why we draw that circle as close as we did the edge. 99% of the questions you and I ask about what is God's will for my life is answered in that moral will circle does that make sense 99 percent of it and so we don't as i said have to sit around and ask should i or shouldn't i do it we don't have to sit around and wait for god to have a specific word because god has already spoken in his moral will in his in his word about what we should do let me give you an example of that let me go back to the very beginning of creation the very beginning of humanity and we all know this story you know at least we're familiar with it we've heard about it God created Adam and Eve, and He put him in the garden. What did He say? Let me read it for you. He said, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now let me explain something. And most of us already realize it. You're already where I was taking you. And that is, folks, in that one statement, God did two things. First, He expressed His moral will for Adam and Eve. The second thing God did is express the freedom that he was giving Adam and Eve. Let me play it out for you. For example, the first day of the rest of their life, literally, Adam says to Eve, I'm hungry. So she says, go out and get something to eat. He says, what should I get? She goes, I don't know, go get something. So he goes out, and he sees a strawberry patch, and he picks some of the strawberries and brings it back to Eve. Now, let me ask you a question. Can they eat those strawberries? Absolutely. You know why? Because they didn't come from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and would the same thing hold true if he found blueberries? And what about gooseberries? What about peaches? What about apples? What, what about pears? Folks, anything that didn't come from the tree of good and evil, God said, you are free to eat. So they didn't have to agonize. He didn't ha- Eve didn't have to say to Adam, now we don't want to tick God off. So honey, before I bake these up, before I put these on the table, you go ask God if it's okay for us to eat these. See, God had already spoken. So within God's moral will that he expressed to them, there was incredible freedom for them to choose, for them to act. Does that make sense? Now let's go back to our illustration of the job. So we understand from God's moral will, folks, that if we were to choose a career, if we receive a job offer, if we would even consider it, that job offer should and in fact must honor the shape that god has given us that we talked about last week in other words it ought to honor the spiritual gifts that the heart the passions the abilities the personality experience of god given those to us because he wouldn't want us to waste them he wants us to steward them we know that from god's moral law we also know from god's moral law the ten commandments for just one example that god would not want us to ever take a job that would have us compromise ourselves ethically or morally or spiritually And if that job offer would involve that, we would have to turn it down. And again, given the illustration I did specifically about the family in this case, if our marriage is stressed, if our kids are lacking our attention and need more of our attention, then the idea that we would accept a job that would move us away and not honor our marriage and not honor our family clearly would be outside God's moral will. Does that make sense? But here's what we need to understand. Folks, after we check those boxes off, There could be hundreds of jobs that we could say yes to. Maybe even thousands. Because inside God's moral will, folks, there is incredible freedom. That is part of what God has gifted us with, this this free will. But again, I know where some of you are going, you're smart, you're intelligent people, you're thinkers, and so some of you are saying, okay, Jerry, fair enough, fair enough, I get that. But what if we have a green moral light on all those things, but we still want to know if God might have a specific will and a specific word for us beyond His moral will. I mean, can we ever know that God has a specific word for us, a specific will for our lives? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Sometimes. Again, remember, 99% of life is those questions of what does God will for me is answered in His moral will. But within that moral will, there are times, there are directions that God would give us i mean some of you are going so jerry is there ever a time in in, in my life where god will speak specifically like you know mary jane dump, bill you know buy by the truck over the the prius you know is there times like that can i count on that yes you can at times but the reality is folks much of god's will is revealed to us in his moral will. And I say that, and I stress that, and I've said it repeatedly because I see people all the time either don't take the time to discover God's moral will, know God's moral will, or they want to ignore it. I tell you, I've told you before, one of the first time I learned that, I was only Christian for a couple years. I was a resident assistant at a college, and I remember a student coming to me and saying, I know God's moral will says, I shouldn't sleep with my girlfriend, but we've prayed about it, and he said, it's okay. You see what they did? I'm going to ignore the moral will, and I'm going to look for specific will. And folks, that's dangerous, because God's specific will will never violate His moral will, what God has already said through His Word. Let me give you just a couple examples of how God speaks specifically to us at times in specific situations. Take a few examples of this, this promise from God. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you and then we read in isaiah this is what the lord says at just the right time i will respond to you for the lord in his mercy will lead so in light of that let me just share with you four ways that god can at times lead us to his specific will how god leads us at this level and the first way is through his word through the bible you see, not only does the Bible give us God's moral will, it also gives us life wisdom and principles and, and lessons to help us not only know God's will, but to follow God's will, His specific will. But having said that, let me please and hear me say this, that if we are going to benefit from not only that moral will, but that, that, those, those, that moral will that's revealed to us, like thou shall not commit murder, But also those life principles and life examples, folks, we must read the Bible systematically. We must study God's Word. We cannot give in to this kind of dip and skip method. You know what I'm talking about? We cannot get into this habit of simply opening the Bible, putting a finger down, and then pulling out principles. Reading our daily devotion, our verse for the day, and assuming that is God's will for us. Now, God might use that. We'll talk about that in a second, folks, but we need to read the Bible systematically. Otherwise, we end up with results like a guy I heard about. This man wanted to know God's will. He was desiring to know God's will, so he he decided he would just simply open his Bible, put his finger down, and whatever he put his finger to, that would be God's word for him. That would be God's will for his life, and he did that, and he read, Judas went out and hanged himself. And I was going, I don't like that, you know, best out of three, I'm not sure I like that. So he tried it again, and he opened up his Bible, closed it, opened it up again, put his finger down, and then he read this, he, he, just, he read, go thou and do likewise. Now he's really troubled, he's going, oh my goodness, you know, best out of three. And he does it one last time, hoping to really get God's will, to discern God's will, and he read this, Jesus said these words, what thou doest, do quickly. Now folks, that's the kind of results we get when we play Bible roulette. When we come to the Bible and we just kind of flippantly kind of come to it and just begin to proof text and pull out statements and pull out verses and, and hope and make them apply to our lives. That's not the way we should do it. When we're turning to God's will, in God's word, looking for God's will, we need to read the Bible systematically. In other words, we need to follow Paul's counsel to Timothy when he wrote this. It's there on your the outline. All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In other words, folks, when you and I are seeking to know God's will, and certainly his specific will, the question we need to ask is, what does the Bible say? And when I say, what does the Bible say? I want to encourage you, maybe you need to write this down in your margin. That doesn't mean one verse. That doesn't mean a proof text. We can make the Bible say anything we want it to say when we begin to proof text, when we begin to pull verses out of context. No, what you're saying is, I'm trying to make a decision about my career. And so we, we try to understand from Genesis to Revelation everything God's Word has to say on this subject. You say, that sounds like a lot of work. Yes, but it's your life. It's important. It's worth the work. We, we, we go to God's Word and we say, what does God's Word say? And then when we understand the full counsel of God, then the next step is to do what it says. That's step number one. The first step we need to take to be able to discern, does God have a specific word for me in this particular situation, a specific will, beyond his his moral will, we ask, what does the Bible say? The second thing we do, the second place we turn, is prayer. Is prayer. And when we turn to prayer, folks, it's not so much, and it's not, maybe you've experienced it. I haven't. I'm not saying you can't. But typically, the way God speaks to us in prayer isn't audible voices. It's through impressions. It's through laying things on our hearts and our minds. It's by giving us insights and promptings. And that's the idea that, that the psalmist is getting at in Psalm 46 10 when it says this Be quiet and know that I am God. And I want you to underline that phrase, be quiet, because what that means is to cease, to be still. In other words, we carve out time to wait before God and to listen for what God might want to say to us. And then to be okay if God chooses in that moment not to speak. Because God might be waiting for something in us to change. God might be wanting to do and working something else out. But we go to God, we stop and we wait and hear what He might want to say. That's why the psalmist in Psalm thirty-one thirty says this, I pray and wait for what he'll say and do. And the reason I share that verse, folks, is is I think most of us understand, but I don't want to assume, folks, when we quiet ourselves before God in prayer, we gain insights and understanding, folks, that quite honestly doesn't come in any other way and in any other time. And the reason for that is because in that moment in prayer, we are giving special attention and focus to God, and we're creating space in our life to allow God to speak and to direct us if He so chooses. We're creating openness and opportunity for God to speak in our life. But I need to say this. As we do that, as we seek that specific will of God in a situation, we need to understand that prayer is not to be subjective. In other words, when we go to prayer and we sense perhaps God is impressing something on us to do or prompting something on us to say, folks, we should not just rush out and act on it. The very first thing we need to do is we need to test it against God's Word. Because again, God will never prompt us to do something that in any way goes against His moral will, that goes against His written Word. And so again, I give you a principle you can bank on. And I encourage you to bank on it, folks. If you sense being, you're prompted or being impressed to do something that goes against God's word, I can guarantee you this. It's not God prompting you. Because God will never prompt you to do anything that will violate his moral will for your life or mine. He will never prompt us to do something, validate, uh, violate what is already laid out for us in his word. But God, if we feel prompted and what we're feeling prompted to do and we test against God's Word and to no way can we sense it's violating God's Word, I would encourage you to pay attention to it. To tune into it. To begin to wait and apply the other two tests I'm going to share with you. The two, and wait for God's further leadership and confirmation. Because God Himself said this. Take a look at the next verse. If only you had listened, I would have told you what's in my heart. I'd have told you what I'm thinking. I called but you refuse to listen. Let me give you a third way God reveals and can reveal His specific will to us, and that is through circumstances. Now again, those of you who have been tracking and paying attention and listening, you say, now, wait a minute, Jerry, you started off making jokes about, you know, phone calls and, and for sale signs and running into old flames. Yes, I did. And the reason why is because, as I said, we all fall prey to that in unhealthy and helpful ways. But having said that, guess what? God does in times and in certain situations use circumstances to steer us in a new direction or perhaps to confirm that the direction that we're going is the direction He wants us to continue to go. That's why we read this in the book of Acts. It said, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia in Galatia. Because, now notice this phrase, this is just an interesting phrase, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. But it doesn't stop there. Then coming to the border of Mysia, they they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Now, folks, you can study the book of Acts and the letters of Paul till the cows come home, so to speak. And you're never going to find and discover what happened. So we do not know, you know, was a bridge washed out? Was there civil unrest in the area? We do not know. We are not told. But here's what we are told. Paul and Timothy, with the insight of hindsight, perceived that that was God's Holy Spirit preventing them from going and preaching in the province of Asia and Bithynia. They understood God was using circumstances in their lives to guide them and direct them. And so, yes, we need to understand that God can do the same thing for us too. God can use circumstances in your life and mine to direct us. And I can tell you stories, and I'm sure you can tell me stories. Again, as you look back on situations and circumstances in hindsight, you have insight. And all across the way, you can say, I could just trace this line. I couldn't see it then, but I could see it now. This, this event after event, person after person, open door and closed door, how God used all of them to direct me in the way He wanted to go. But having said that, I need to say this just like I did with prayer and and this whole sense of prompting. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to use wisdom, folks, because we will make a major mistake if we assume that every circumstance that comes down the pike is God-ordained and God-directed. We'll make serious mistakes if every circumstance we think is caused by God, particularly, especially, when it seems to point us in the direction that we want to go. Because all of us can so easily, myself included, begin to look at those and see what we want to see. And so just like we do in prayer, we need to come to circumstances and we need to ask once again, is God's Word affirming and confirming what I am understanding about the circumstance, about the situation? Because just like with prayer, God will never, ever use a circumstance to guide us in a direction, lead us in a direction that will violate His moral will. He will never, ever do it. Well, that leads me to the fourth and final way that God can at times lead us in a to a specific will in a situation in a circumstance and that's through godly counsel and I please do not omit the word godly please include that qualifier because it isn't just counsel God works through he can just like circumstance but God works through godly counsel And I didn't even say Christian counsel. I said godly counsel. You say, what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. Godly counsel begins and ends with this. Let's look at what God's Word has to say about this. Far too many times I I see people that say, well, I'm seeking Christian counsel. And what they're getting is Christian friends' opinion and reaffirmation telling them what they want to hear. Godly counsel begins with God's word and says, let's look at what God's word has to say about a career. What it says about marriage. Let's look at what God's word has to say about the situation. And God leads us to a specific will through godly counsel. And here's what I want to say to you. In our day and age with this surplus and access of information, this quality of godly counsel is missing in many, many people's lives. Because we get this glut of information, and we forget that with all this information, we need godly wisdom and counsel to be able to interpret it correctly, to use it appropriately. Take a look at a few things Solomon said about this. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. He goes on, he said, plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. He writes, listen to the advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. And finally, one more, make plans by seeking advice. And Solomon goes on and on, if you know the book of Proverbs, on and on in that way. But folks, here's the deal. Even with the abundance of counsel from Solomon and others in the Scriptures to seek godly counsel, more often than not, I see see people just simply ignore it, ignore that counsel, And when we do that, we miss out on two key resources that God wants to bring to us through godly counsel, and here's the first one. That is objectivity. The reality is, it's true for you, it's true for me. Folks, none of us are completely objective about our own lives, about our own desires, about our own aspirations, our own kids, our own marriage, whatever it is. But one of the ways we can overcome that, and if you will, better yet, compensate for that, is by seeking counsel, godly counsel, because godly counselors will say, I love you, I care for you, but let's look at what God's Word has to say. And then rather bringing God's Word in line with your desires, let's bring your desires in line with God's Word. The second resource we miss when we avoid going and seeking godly counsel is wisdom. Wisdom. Folks, when you and I seek out and then listen to godly counselors, here's what we benefit from. We benefit from the maturity we benefit from their experiences, and most of all, we benefit from their knowledge of God's will, God's way, and God's Word. And folks, that's absolutely essential because I've said over and over again that knowledge of God's Word is foundational. Knowledge of God's moral will, God's law, God's Word is absolutely foundational to knowing and following God's will in our life. We have to have that piece in place. Well, folks, that, that's the nuts and bolts of... Knowing and following God's will. Uh, Hopefully, this morning, we removed some of the mystery for you. But folks, knowing how to find and follow God's will is not the important question. It's not the important question. The important question in all of that is, will we apply this? I mean, we talk as Christians, we talk as individuals, and we talk in our society about knowing and following God's will. Here's the good news. We can know it. We can follow it. God has given us freedom. The question that that hangs in the balance is are we willing to put ourselves, pay the price to put ourselves in the place where God can reveal His will to us? Are we willing to do that? In other words, folks, are we studying God's Word systematically? Intentionally? So that we gain a better understanding, a better knowledge of God's moral will. Are we, are we making time to listen to God speak to us through prayer? Or is our prayer life just simply about us having carrying on a monologue, bringing to God our wish list, our want list? Are we making time and space in, in our prayer life to wait before God? Folks, are we testing our thoughts of our minds, the impressions on our hearts, the the circumstances of our days and our lives against God's Word? Are we doing that? And finally, are we intentionally seeking out wise counsel? Not just people that will tell us what we want to hear. Not just people that affirm our position. Are we truly seeking out men and women who know God's Word, know God's way, and say, help me understand. Help me bring my life in line with God's Word and God's way. Can I ask you an honest question based on research? Are we making even five minutes a day to do that? The research of Barna, the research of Lifeway, says most of us as Christians aren't. And so I want to encourage you folks instead of spending so much time and energy asking ourselves and asking others, why isn't God making his will for my life clear? Can we ask instead of ourselves, since God is willing? To make his will known for my life to me why am i not investing more time why am i not creating more space in my life to let him speak to allow myself to hear him i promise you if individually and collectively folks we will do that god will make his will crystal clear for us let's bow our heads for prayer Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we do as your followers, as your children, as your creations, can count on the fact that you will make your will will clear for us if we'll listen. If we'll listen to your word, and then we'll invest time and energy doing the things that we've talked about this morning. Father, I know. I know in my life and I know for just conversations I have, week in and week out, that for many of us, we have a lot of questions floating around in our hearts and minds about what your will for us really is. And so I pray today that, Father, what we've looked at, these principles, these these understandings of the relation between your will and our will, that they will provide some handles for us to hold on to so that whatever it is you wanted and needed for each of us to take away from this message this morning, they'll remain in our hearts and more than that, it'll challenge us to go deeper into knowing and following your will for your lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Jerry, for today's message. And uh, in light of today's theme, I wanted to encourage us to uh, do one of two things, or maybe both. And that is um, to, to lean into. to those people that you have around you that give godly advice, godly wisdom. And many times that can be our small groups. And uh, you might be saying, well, I'm not in a small group. And I'm glad you said that because I want to invite you to do that. Out in the foyer this morning, uh, there is a tall table um, with a sign-up sheet for our upcoming 40 Days of Community, and there are going to be small groups that are available for that. So maybe you're struggling with what God's will is for your life, and you don't have those people in your life. When we get to be a part of those groups, um, we're getting all of those things that, that Jerry talked about this morning of how God uh, reveals his will to us through the Bible. And obviously you're going to be going through a study together and that we're going to hear messages on where God is going to be speaking to us. We're praying together in those groups. Um, We don't always get to do that here in church, right? In the smaller group, you'll have that opportunity to do that And then you can bring those circumstances once we learn that these people love us and that they want the best for us and we want what God wants for us. Then they're able to help us see um, those things and that then we receive that godly counsel. So I want to encourage you today to check out that table um, and you can do that there. Also on your card, there's some places there. Maybe you made a decision today. Um, You want to maybe know how you can grow deeper in your faith. You can check that there or um, different ways that you can serve. All kinds of things on that card are available to you this morning. So I'll ask our host to also put that, uh, the connect card back in the chat there. And uh, you can do that through that as well. I appreciate your attention this morning. It's been great worshiping with you and I look forward to doing it again next week. So I invite you back and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks.